0: Come on, praise the Lord. It's always a joy to be in the house of God. I love you too, wife. I don't use terms like boo. I'm more accustomed to bay. hey. But we thank God for my wife, my beautiful, wonderful wife. My mother of my children. And she pushes out pretty babies, praise God. Uh, we thank God for all he's doing. You know, I, I'm really amped up for this weekend coming up. I don't look amped up. My back hurts. So I'll be a little stiff today, praise God. But I'm excited. I know Lori talked about it, and I know AJ talked about it. But we got some world-renowned speakers coming in. And just because you don't know the name don't mean they ain't great. Uh, we have Pastor Philip. He's my spiritual mentor, my overseer. He, he, he shepherds our church. He shepherds a number of churches across America, actually about five, I believe. And um, he's preached to the tens of thousands. He's an amazing man of God. And then we have locally Pastor Gabrielle Beam. And, and you might not know her. She was one of the top pastors at, at New Beginnings in Dariam which is a couple thousand member church. And she's been there on staff for many years. And God called her elsewhere. And we have Eric Torres from Greater Bridgeport Christian Fellowship coming in. And, and we're fellowshipping locally with local people. He's a great man of God, a great speaker. And, and, and usually people charge you up the yin-yang to come to stuff like this. But we do it for free because we believe that the word is more important than the money that somebody will make. And um, amen. So I encourage you to come out Friday. We'll have worship by Undivided. We'll have worship, and then we'll have a word from Pastor Philip to kick it off. But then on Saturday, we're covering a lot of different topics. I know that Pastor, Pastor Gabrielle is going to be covering intimacy with God. And if you know Pastor Gabby, she walks with the— I, Listen, my wife, they had her at, at the women's group. My wife ain't come home. It's like 11-something. And I went to the church the next day, and the whole carpet was wet. There was tears everywhere. There was slobber in some sections— I guess that's where they were slain in the spirit, Amen. But the women were just raving about the chains that were broken because Pastor Gabby walks in the absolute authority of God, and uh, you should definitely want to come out and check that out. Should be doing some of the sessions. I know uh, Pastor P is doing a number of sessions, but the cool thing is questions and answers. If you got questions for pastors, bring them on Saturday, Amen. And uh, we're gonna have a great time. And why are we doing this? We're celebrating. We're celebrating 31 years of God's faithfulness, 31 years of just God pouring out on our church and God doing an amazing thing, and uh, we want you to be a part of that, whether it's your first time here, your second time, third time, everybody is invited, amen? And I know that uh, last year, when, when I was there last uh, on the Saturday, I could not believe that just a level of just anointing that Pastor Philip, he must have gone for, I think, six or seven sessions, and he was just killing it every single session, and I walked out of there full, spiritually just full, and I could, I could literally just go on, and I, I went on for months on, on the anointing that was dispensed in that time, and so I encourage you, if you want to mature in areas of your faith, come on Saturday and just see how God moves in your life, amen? If by 12 o'clock you don't like it, just leave, praise God. Amen. I'm, I'm here today to, to give you my last part of the Epic Series. Pastor P will come next Sunday, and he will close it out. And I, I, we're talking about this Epic Series, which is the characteristics of a church that is epic. And when you hear epic, uh, you hear things of, of historical consequence, maybe the epic of Gilgamesh or the epic of David and Goliath. And an epic is something that no one will forget. It is a great, grand st- uh, tale or story. And I believe that what God is getting ready to do with our church, and yet rather what God is already doing, is epic in that it has not been done before in Bridgeport. Nobody's ever seen the growth we've seen at this rate that we've seen it. And I believe that this is gonna be an epic church. I have a big, bold faith and a big vision for the city of Bridgeport. And I'm believing that God is going to change lives by the thousands. It's all right to praise God. And and when when I was, you know, when I was just getting started in pastoring, I used to be really apologetic about the vision I had. In other words, I... I was afraid to tell people about the vision that God gave us. In in particular, I was afraid to tell other Christian leaders what the vision that God had given me was. And the reason for that was because it would almost sound arrogant, but it was just what God had told me. Just like Joseph's dream may have sounded arrogant to his brothers and his father when he said, I had a dream, Genesis, and he said, I had a dream that all of your sheaves, you guys all had a sheaf, and it was of, of, of wheat, and it all surrounded me, and it bowed down before me. And Joseph had this dream that God was going to make him the head of his entire family. And Joseph here is one of the youngest brothers, and people were like, his brothers are like, well, what do you mean? We're going we're to serve you? You're nobody. And people hated Joseph because of his dream. So much so, they sold Joseph into slavery. So much so that they turned their back on Joseph and told their father that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Now, I wasn't afraid of being killed by wild animals. Praise God. But when, I, when you tell somebody, well, our vision is to create the larger soul-saving effort in Bridgeport, it can almost sound like, well, that's just ridiculous. But If you look all throughout Scripture, most of what God says sounds ridiculous until God does it. I'm going to have a child from a virgin. That's ridiculous. I'm going to make a great nation out of you, Abraham. 6,000 years later, we don't say that's ridiculous. When you go and you see God from the end of what he's done... Rather than standing at the beginning. See, I stand at the beginning and I see what God has called us to do. And some of us, we, we try to stand on the opposite spectrum. And say, This is ridiculous. God can't do this. God can't do this. And we talked about different characteristics that have, have really pushed our church forward. The first of which, which and I'll, I'll briefly cover them, is, is big, bold faith. Our church is a story of bold faith. If even when we lost our first building on 1312 State Street, we stepped out in bold faith when we lost pretty much all of our membership save 10 people. We moved into the Howard Ave location and started working in bold faith. We were a church of 10 members with a sanctuary of 150, bold faith. And Dad used to preach to empty chairs, having bold faith. And we believed, God, that God was going to do something great. And God was going to work a miracle. And God was going to fill the house. And not only have we filled that house, we've left that house. Not only did we fill up basic and we've left basic, And we're here believing God in big, bold faith that every step that God leads us on, we're going to see God move. We're going to see God move. And we take big, bold steps of faith. I never want to pastor a church that doesn't take big steps of faith. We talked about being epic bringers, a church that always brings people to encounter God. Having the characteristic as a church that we invite people, we invite the lost. We don't invite the church, we go up for the unchurched people, the ones who have never stepped foot in, who don't know Christ, who don't know God. And we say, listen, I know your life is full of problems, but I know a problem-solving God. Being epic servants, people who serve the kingdom of God who serve selflessly who who do things without selfish ambition but selfless ambition to, that God might be the center of all that we do that God would be the center of what we do and the danger in this is this and that rather is this is we never want to replace our work with our walk or our walk with our work can i just you know it's so it's so sometimes It's tough because people think that, well, because I work for church as a volunteer, I don't have to walk in the faith. That's foolishness. Don't let your work replace your walk, and don't let your walk replace your work. But do both. For he's called us to walk with him and to work with him to the glory of the Father. And then we talked about being epic lovers being people who show the greatest love, the love of God, that for God so loved the world that God gave his only begotten son. And and so we, we saw the love of God and we as a church are called to mirror God's love. For Jesus said in John 13, 15, that it is by our love that people will know that we are his disciples. It was not by our doctrine, our theology. It was not by how many times you go to church or what you do. He said, it is by your love, how you love people. They'll say, that's a follower of Jesus Christ how you love people, being epic servants, epic lovers, epic bringers. And then we talked last week about the epic vision, having a great, big, bold vision that is moved by our faith, it is serviced by our work, and it is, it is filled with our love for God, that we should not be afraid to have a big vision. You shouldn't be afraid to have big vision for your life. You should let no one down your dreams. You want to open a business? Dream big. Dream big. and Let God move in you. You want to start your own catering business? Go ahead and do it. Pray on it, seek God for wisdom, and take a step of faith. And as a church, we want to have big faith. But today I want to talk about something that underlines all of those five characteristics. It's something that underlines all five. And, and, and it's perfectly exemplified in, in, in my little daughter and in an interaction that I had with her just a couple of days ago. My daughter sometimes gets into these things where if you go out without her— Consistently throughout the day. Like if I go out, she cries at the door. She's knocking on the other side of the door. Papa, why? And so then sometimes I'll come home. She's like, bye-bye, bye-bye. Every morning when I go to the office and my wife's not working that day, she'll take my book bag and drag it to the door with my laptop in it. She's like, bye Like I'm coming with you, bye. I'm like, not now, not now. So every now and then what I'll do is I'll come home and even though I said I would never be that dad, I put her coat on. I put some warm clothes on because it's our favorite time of year, the fall, praise God. <laughs> I, I put her in the car, and we just go for a ride. We sing songs. We hang out. We talk junk to each other, and we just have fun. But this one time, I, I took her for a ride just a couple of days ago, and she's like, yummy, yummy. Which that's Aria talk for dad, I'm hungry. And it dawns on me, I haven't, I haven't even fed this kid like yummy yummy is right dad's hungry too yummy yummy in our tummy let's go and so I go and I I get some fries and and I actually pulled off and I I went to go around the car open her door she's happy she's kicking her legs I give her the fries and as I give her the fries the golden crispy brown fries call my name and they say Louis take one of me please and so I reach over because they look really good and I'm hungry too but I didn't get myself something to eat because I knew my wife was cooking and so I went to grab a fry and she's no mine I'm just like, what? Like, give me a fry before I break your face. And she's like, no, mine. I'm just like, my God. And I'm looking at this kid, and I'm just like, what'd you say? I felt like doing this, but I don't see good with my glasses, so I kept them on, him, just for effect. And I said, what? give me a fry. No. And I look at her, and I'm thinking to myself, girl, you sitting in my car want to walk home? You see this car seat? Me and your mother bought it for you. You don't even own this because next mile going to use it. This ain't yours. You see those clothes you got? Those converse? Daddy picked those out. I paid for those. That shirt your mother got there for you. Nothing you got on is yours. How dare you not let me have a fry that I bought for you? Like this is preposterous. I'm being blocked by a 19-month-old, 20-month-old baby. And she won't give me one fry. And I bought her a medium. <laughs> and I knew that half those fries would end up on the floor, on the side of her seat, and in areas where we can't even talk about. And she was just like, no. And then I just thought about it. That's probably how God feels When we refuse to give ourselves. I wonder how God feels when we refuse to give of our finances to God. And then it hits the crowd. Oh my God, today pastor's talking about giving. All the visitors, why did I pick this day to come? Giving. Why why do we give as a church? Well, you know, people just say give, give, give. They never explain some of the basic reasons as to why we should give, as to why we give. But in terms of talking about giving, two things stick out to me that I've studied over the course of these past two weeks and two statistics that came up to me that really broke my heart. Because they stand true not only in this church, but across the country. Two statistics. Here's here's the statistics. The first one is this, and this is, to me, this is it's just sad. And to some of you, it might not ring true, it might not hit you, but to me, I know one thing, before I even go over these statistics, I know one thing, that when they did a survey over 20,000 Christians, they did a massive survey, there was two things that each Christian who was mature in the faith said, there was two things that helped them get into spiritual maturity. The first one was a full understanding of the doctrine of grace. When you understand the true grace of God, you will be set free. And that's the first level of maturity in Christ. The second one, the second one was when you learn how to give, it's a step to maturing in Christ. Now, let me preface this by saying i prepared myself for not a lot of amens. Amen. So I'm going to amen myself today. I'm going to praise God myself today. Amen. But here's these two statistics. These two statistics, they did surveys of thousands of churches, and a prevailing statistic is this, is that 80% of a church's finances are given by only 20% of the people. In other words, if you have a church of 400, that's about what we're at, give or take, 400, that's including kids. If you have a church of 400 adults, let's say, though, 400 adults, out of that 400 adults, out of that 400, you hearing me, church, 80 of the people give 80% of all the giving in the church. That means that only 20% of the people, only 20% have a true understanding and vision and conviction of what it means to give and to give faithfully and to give consistently. The second statistic is this, that in the history of the American church, in the history of the American church, giving is at an all-time low. In the entire history of the American church, as far back as they can trace it, giving is at the lowest it has ever been. And it's no wonder why so many people struggle in personal finances and they struggle in poverty and bondage because there's a, there's a proverb that says it is possible to give everything you have away to God and still get all the richer. And many people don't grasp the concept of giving because they think that somebody just wants their money. Let me, let me give you a few reasons why people don't give. And you can say amen if you like to. Amen on these. Praise God. No one's going to convict you. The lights are down. Praise God. The number one reason why, and I don't, I don't blame people for this one. The number one reason why people don't give is they think the pastor just wants their money. Let's be honest, they, they think, and the reason why they think this is we have a plethora of people all over television. We go to church services with auction offerings. Give me 20. I need 10 people to give me 100. I need this. I need that. I mean, come on, let's just have faith. What comes in, comes in. Let's, let's run our church off what God gives us on the first intake. Amen. And we've seen people abuse the church. We've heard stories of pastors robbing churches. But let me tell you the truth. Those are the exceptions, not the rule. Well, the vast majority of pastors are good men and, and they don't live lavish lives They're not like these preachers of LA Amen Those ain't It's called that pimps of LA Not even preachers of LA I said it, praise God Another reason people don't give I didn't think my giving mattered I didn't think it mattered that I gave I didn't think because my giving was so little I didn't think that it really mattered If I was consistent with my giving I, don't, I didn't think it mattered Here's another one. I just don't get why I should give. You guys seem to be doing fine without my giving. I just don't get it. I don't understand it why. Another big one. Well, I don't give financially because I give in other ways. Could you imagine if your boss paid you in other ways? Praise God. Could you imagine if, you, if your boss said, well, listen, listen, you know, we're kind of short on cash. So I want you to go to aisle three, take two loaves of bread. Take five boxes of Oreos, I discount them. Take three gallons of milk, and we're going to call it even, amen, all right? I give in other ways. I give in other ways. And then the biggest one, the biggest one, the most prevalent one is this, is I can't afford to give. And, and, and my father taught me when I was a young boy, he said, "Felipe, it's not that you can't afford to give, you can't afford not to give. That's how my dad taught me about giving. You can't afford not to give. And we see this in Scripture. We see all throughout Scripture this theme of giving and generosity. And what does it mean to be a generous Christian and a generous church? I want to read this Scripture, and then I want to give you three reasons why we give. Amen? Three reasons why we give. Thank God this is taking place after the offering, everyone's saying. Amen. Three reasons as to why we give. And then we're going to pray before we, we, um, we go into it. But I want you to turn with your Bibles to Luke 21.1. And it's a familiar story of the widow and her two mites. And I'll read it to you, and then we're going to pray. And I'm starting in verse 1, reading from the ESV, and it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their, the church said, abundance. But she, out of her poverty, Put in all she had to live on. Come on, let's pray. Dear Father, would you just open our hearts today? Truth be told, I've got nothing to say to these people, less what you've told me to say to them. Father, let your word be heard loud and clear today. Would you encourage us today, Father God, to be good stewards? Would you press us forward today, Father God, as we prepare to hear your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so Jesus is 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 sitting there, and, and he's watching people give. And, and I didn't even put this as a point, and it's not even on my notes, but God sees what you give. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, If you're going to give, give in secret, that none would see you, and that your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So it's it's, it's important for us to understand that God sees our giving or God sees our lack of giving. But here you have all these people including this widow and they are giving in these treasury boxes these offering boxes. And the first question we have to ask ourselves is is why are people giving? Why are are they even there giving these free will offerings? Why? And, And here's point number one and these are so simple. It's because God commands us to give. God gives us a directive to give. Proverbs 3, 9, Solomon writes, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. And then it follows with a promise. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And someone here is saying, well, I don't have a barn, so I'm good. But the principle is this, is that when you give to God, that God brings blessing more abundantly over your life. When you give to God, God commands us to give. It is for our best interest that we give. We see giving all throughout the Old Testament. We see Cain and Abel bringing offerings before the Lord. We see Noah after the flood. He brings an offering before the Lord. We see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph all giving offerings to the Lord. If the patriarchs of our faith gave offering to the Lord, it is safe to assume it's okay for us us to do it. As we bring to the Lord, God sees where our heart is at. We are to honor God with the wealth and the first fruits of our houses, the Bible says. We're to give to God. We're to open up of our wealth and we're to turn it over to God. Luke six thirty eight says, this give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will it be Put into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be given back to you or measured back to you. And what that means is this it's not talking about if you give five, God gives you five. It's, it's talking about the measure of sacrifice. The measure of sacrifice and what you give. And this widow was giving, and her sacrifice was greater because, according to what Jesus said, she gave all she had. And it didn't matter that other people gave thousands when she gave what was the equivalent of less than two cents. She had just two cents to live on. And the Bible says that she gave more in proportion to what she had. In other words, if I have $10 and I give five and you have 20 and you give six, I gave more because I gave 50% when you gave about 48%, let's say. Or a lot less. I haven't done my math today. And so what the Bible is teaching is in the measure that you give, in the way you sacrifice, then God will turn around and give it back to you. It's a command all throughout Scripture that we should give. It didn't say, if you give, it will be given to you. It says, give, and then it will be given to you. Paul says God gives seeds to the sowers. In other words, God will give more to those who keep on sowing into the kingdom. And here's here's what the widow understood, and here's what even the rich people understood. That if God commanded me to give, then it becomes a sovereign command of God, and it is better to do the will of God than to walk outside the will of God. Reason number one why we should give is simply put, because God told us to give. I knew there wouldn't be a lot of clapping. No, no that's okay. That's fine. Don't... People around you aren't excited about this. And it's because we have a small mind when it comes to a big generosity. I learned this young. I learned this young that I had. To, my mother would have given me a dollar. I, I kid you not. You got to give 10 cents. What? That's 10 candies. Back then we had penny candies at the A&G market. Amen. All the West Side people in the building, praise God. and <laughs> g Market, Hancock 7, didn't have the, Hank 7 right there, didn't, didn't have the penny can. We ain't go there. But he, he's telling us that when we give, he gives back to us. And my, my mother would always tell me, you got $10? Don't forget, Felipe, one goes to God. I'm like, what? I don't want to give God that one, I need to have a job. I'm, like, I'm Eight. I'm eight. Can I just have this dollar or not? But I learned early automatically, give to God. Give to God. Give to God. I learned to hear God's voice when it told me to give to others. I learned to be obedient to God when others were in need. And then the most amazing thing has been happening these past couple years of my life. The people who I've been sowing into in my time of need without even knowing it were sowing into me. Because when you give, it is given back to you. So I gave to people who were in need. And then when my need rolled around, God turned around, sent those same people to come and give back to me. Because when you give, it shall be given back to you, pressed down, shaking together, running over, the Bible says. And the number one reason why you should consider giving is because God tells us to give. It honors God with our wealth. Speaking of slothful people, lazy people, Proverbs says this, All day, all he does is crave and crave, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The righteous people give. The beauty about righteousness is that Jesus made us righteous. And so I'll read that verse again for those of you who said amen. The righteous give and don't hold back. God commands us to give, and when we give, we shouldn't hold back. Really, Pastor? This is point number one. God said to give. Yeah, it's that simple. Why is it that simple? Well, it's, a, it's as simple as that. Well, why? Because if you have a kid and you tell your kid to do something and they ask you why and you said, I said so, it's good enough for your kid. So me as a child of God, if God says to me, I told you so, it's good enough for me. And so once I wrap my mind around the fact that when I give, I am in His will, that when I give, I am in His perfect will. And then with who I give to, what they do with what I give is up to them. I follow God. When I go to other churches, wherever I sow, wherever I give, and I give all the time to every church, I never enter into a church that I'm a guest at with empty pockets. I sow because I want to be a part of a good work. Our church sows. We sow into a church called the Bridgetop Temple of Praise in in, in Surprise, Arizona. We sow into them. We sow into churches who have needs. We sow into people. We help people pay their bills. We help people meet their needs. We buy groceries for people. We sit there and got lying on his apartment. We paid for it. We helped him out. It's not for the sake of pride, but it's because we're called to give that we give. We help the poor. We help the widows. That's the call of God over the church. Amen. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16 2, now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so must you do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper that no collections may have to be done when I come. In other words, he's saying, there is need all across the church. I want every church to take an offering every Sunday and then we're going to disperse it across the need. What is he saying? It is necessary for the church to be generous it is necessary for the church to be givers and God delights in cheerful givers God the Bible says loves cheerful givers we don't give out of obligation listen I don't got to give I get to give I don't I don't pay tithes I give my tithes I don't pay my offering. I give it, and I give it out of the abundance of my heart because I know that God has blessed me. And here is this widow obeying God. And some of you might say, well, this widow is dumb, This is a dumb widow. If you understand the context behind a widow, in times of the Bible, the widow with the example of the poorest of the poor, her husband has died. If he had debts, now those debts are on her. She could barely work a job because people didn't want women to work for them. They only wanted men to work. A woman's place was in the house back in those days. And now she was enslaved to this debtors. And, And so this is a picture of the poorest poor. We see the widow with Elijah who had no food and he was sent to her to to be able to provide. We see the widow with Elisha who had a debt and he used oil that she had in her house to get her out of the debt. We see Jesus raising the son of the widow because her husband had died. He had compassion on her. Widows are a picture of the poorest of the poor. And in the Bible, the poorest of the poor are giving. Let that sink in, that in the Bible, the poorest of the poor are giving the most. Where in our society, the poorest give the least, not understanding that when you give, God sustains. It was the poor, God says, were giving the most. It was the ones who had the greatest need, who were sacrificially giving, understanding that God would provide. In the world of Jesus, no one had it worse than the widow. Nobody had it worse. Here's point number two. Here's point number two. Giving reveals in whom our hearts trust. Giving reveals in whom our heart trusts. Notice what Jesus says. This widow gave everything she had to live on notice what it doesn't say this widow gave all of the extra she had notice what it doesn't say this widow gave what she could afford notice what it doesn't say this widow gave something that was feasible for her it says she gave all she had to live on Pastor, what what does this mean? Am I telling you to give everything? No, I'm not telling you to be foolish. What I'm saying to you is that when you give out of your need, because this woman understood something, two cents can't pay my bills. Two cents can't put food on the table. Two cents won't be able to do me nothing. So I rather give my two cents, how funny is that, to the Lord in order that I trust in Him for my provision. Because many of us will trust God with salvation But not with our finances How is it we can trust God for the invisible But not the tangible How can we trust God for the thing that we not know yet Which is eternal life And how can we trust God with forgiveness of sins That we can't visibly see But we can't trust God with things we can see And so when you give It reveals where your heart is at It reveals the heart. Oftentimes, the devil lies to you and says, you cannot afford to give. You just cannot afford. Let me tell you something. Every month, I do a budget. I believe in budgets. I believe in following budgets. I believe in being a steward. And I ask people all the time, do you have a budget? It's up here. That means no. Having a budget, and every time I put my budget on paper, it never adds up. But I know one thing. If I take this amount of money, which is my giving. And I don't say this boastfully, but let me tell you something. I do my best to be the biggest, bigger every, giver, rather, every year. I try to up myself every year because I want to trust God more and more. And I know I'm sowing into good ground. And so I know that this giving for this week, I know that if I took that and put it towards this bill, things would add up. But I know if I took that giving and put it towards bills, it's not trusting God for the things that I'm lacking. Uh, trust me that my giving can buy you a couple of cars. and That's not for boastfulness. It's to say, it's not small amounts I'm talking about, but I have to trust God. And when I trust God, it's the most amazing thing that God gives me opportunity to either make money Because the Bible says this, the Lord your God gives you the opportunity to to create wealth. Whether it's to work here, to do this, to do that, or someone coming with a random blessing, God always comes through. And in the times where I am tempted to not give to God, God always reminds me that he is faithful. And so I don't want to trust in the dollar. I want to trust in God. I, I, seriously, I want to trust in God, and trusting in the Lord doesn't look like me just sitting like this. It means me having faith and continuously doing what I always do and watching God birth new things in my normal routine. Watching God do amazing things. And I, I often hear people say, Man, we need some rich people in our church. No, no, we need a culture of generosity in our church. For let no man be able to say that him alone built a church for us, but that we collectively gave our little and saw God do a lot. That we gave our little and saw God work miracles and move mountains on behalf of people with faith. Where is your heart trusting in terms of your giving? This woman gave what in today's money is just two cents. Others around her gave large sums of money. But this woman understood what David tells us in Psalms 24.1. It says, the Psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, everything belongs to God And everything in the world belongs to him. The world belongs to God. He owns cattle on a thousand hills. All the gold, the silver, the Bible says in Haggai too. It's mine. It belongs to me. I've entrusted it to different people. And I can reroute that wealth wherever I so desire, whenever I desire. But because you've not proven faithful in small, God will never give you greater. Understand that the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And if he gave you a little and you squander, he won't give you a lot so you can squander. If you want to see God move in your life financially, take a step of faith. Start small, give small, and you'll see God begin to work in you. And then you say, man, I can give a little more, Oh, I can trust God even more. Where is your heart trusting and where is your heart leaning on in terms of giving? If the reason we don't give is because we feel like we won't make it, trust me, your 90% with God will go a lot farther than 100% without God. Trust me, I've lived this example. I've seen God work miracles. One of my absolute favorite stories, some of you have heard it before, deal with it, amen. One day I was going through a really rough patch and I was living in Fairfield and I was single back then before I met my lovely, wonderful, beautiful wife who gave me two beautiful children, praise God. And I was i on the phone with my sister Diana, and I was like, Diana, you know, being a pastor really sucks. No filter. This really is terrible. I hardly make any money. I'm doing bad financially. I'm, and I'm just sitting there. I'm walking around in my backyard. Just I'm, I'm talking for like five minutes, just complaining. I was being a little girl. It was terrible. I was going through. I was having a pity party. I should have had a cupcake with a with a candle and blow it out. I'm having a pity party. And I'm like, man, God is, he just doesn't remember me, doesn't look out for me. And I walk into the back of my house. I always have to back the back door open back then. And, and I slid the door open. I walk into my bedroom and I turn my light and I'm complaining and, I'm, and I look down and there was a letter on my bed just a page and it says, for pastor for gas. And somebody had broken to my house and put money on my bed. And I'm like, I gotta go God just shut me up (laughs) faithfulness where's your heart trusting at where's God trusting you at One more story you might have heard, and that's all right. You know, I love telling these stories. It's the faithfulness of God in my life. Right around the time where I had met my wife about a year later, I wanted to propose to her because I knew she wanted to marry me. It was just made perfect sense. Why would she not want to marry the best thing ever happened to her? Praise God. And so I'm like, dude, God, I want to marry my wife. And we do this thing in the beginning of the year. And what we do— It's called the offering of the first fruits. We bring our best offering before the Lord. And for many of us, what we do is we give our entire first check of the year to God. And we believe it is a offering that sets the pattern for the rest of our year. We give God our best in the beginning. That may sound like radically crazy to some of you guys. Don't worry about it. You don't have to do it. That's for the people who believe. Amen. Listen, I'm just kidding. And so I'm saying to God, true story. I'm like, God, I don't want to give this this year. And he's like, why? I'm like, because I want to buy a ring for Jesenia. And I, this is no joke. I felt like God laughed at me. He was like, "I know how much you get paid. <laughs> what kind of ring are you going to buy her?" <laughs> are you an idiot? <laughs> are you stupid? I'm just like, "God, that's a great point." <laughs> This is excellent. This is an amazing point, God. I'm just going to throw it in the offering. And I did it. I was obedient to God. And the following week, I kid you not, somebody walks into my office with a pair of his and hers ring worth about $5,000. And they said, the Lord told me to give this to you. I'm just like, God, you provide. My trust is in you. When you trust him and you radically give, God will make a way for you. Many might say, well, I've got an issue with giving. I just don't, I just have an issue with giving what I work for two things. Yes, you worked for it, but God, it's his breath in your lungs. It is the strength that he gave you, the way he formed you. And so check this out. We don't have an issue with giving. We have an issue with our heart. The heart issue, where's, where's my trust? Where's my belief? Where's my faith in the Lord that he will provide consistently for me? 1 Timothy 6-7 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. In other words, don't put your hope in finances or money, but hope should always be placed in God because God is everlasting, and we all know money comes and money goes. Put your hope in the Lord God. How we give is an indication of our priorities in our heart. From Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up a foundation, or rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust nor moth destroy or thieves can break in. For where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Your heart is in what you treasure. And here's the thing. The person who has fully given themselves to God can fully give their stuff to God. The person who's fully turned their heart over to God can give to God in any realm, can give to God in any circumstance, can give to God no matter what the situation is. I don't give to God when things are good and only when things are good. I give to God when things are at their worst. If if I'm being honest with you, when there's other situations that aren't financial in my life that I can't break through, I give God more that week. Because God can, that, that seed can open up a spiritual door. That sea can open up an, an emotional door. That sea can open up healing. It can open up whatever. I'm saying, God, I'm trusting you. Here's God. God, I'm bringing you an offering. What's the offering for? I'm giving you a gift in expectation you're going to solve this problem I have over here. I believe in you, God. My heart and my trust is in you. And so Jesus is amazed at this widow who has fully entrusted herself now to God. It's like she walked up to the offering basket and said, tag, you're it, God. You have to provide for me because I've given you everything. I've given you everything. Am I telling you to give everything? No, that, 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 that's not using wisdom. We have to be smart in how we give, and we have to be strategic in how we give. But here's the biggest thing. We have to be consistent and have a lifestyle of generosity. Here's the third reason why we should give it. It's my favorite, and to me it's the most important. It says in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave, Here's the third reason why my closing point as to why we as people should give. So first, because God commanded it. Second was because it shows where our heart is trusting in and we're trusting in God or we're going to trust in money. But the third one is this, is, the, is when we give, we become more like our heavenly Father. When we give, we become more like our Heavenly Father. Well, Pastor, what do you mean? Because as a Christian, when you first give your life to God, you undergo a process that God will begin to make you more and more and more like what He needs you and wants you to be. And when we give, we mirror God because when God saw a need for salvation and forgiveness of sins, and when God saw the total sinfulness of man and the pain that He was in, and God saw the uselessness of our own strength in light of this great burden of sin what did God do God made an offering to the earth called his son and so for God so loved the world he gave and so it should turn it around for we so love God we give don't tell me you love God but have trouble giving you have a heart issue there's no way in the world that I wouldn't give my wife whatever she asks of me in due time praise God don't ask me for those boots tonight baby but knowing that if I could provide it for her, I will. Because when we love, we give. Maybe maybe you met a girl or met a boy and you wanted to give them a gift. Because you were falling in love with them. This is why we exchange gifts during times of anniversary or birthdays. Because this is a token of my love for you. It's a gift. It's just a gift. And for God so love the world that God gave, and we see that God is a giver. And the more that we become givers, we mirror the actions of our Heavenly Father even more, because God gave all throughout the Bible, God gives, all the way down from Genesis chapter 2, where God gave Adam a job. God gave Adam, the Bible says, I give you dominion over the earth. God says to Adam, I give you the The the, the right to name every plant, every animal on the earth. I give it to you. We see God giving Noah a promise. We see God giving Abraham a son. We see God giving Isaac a wife. We see God giving Isaac two more sons. We see God making promises to Joseph. We see God bringing blessings to Jacob. We see God giving all throughout the Bible. God gives directives. God gives salvation. God gives healing. God gives everything Thing that you have. God gives it to us. God gives strength to those who are weak. God shows mercy and gives grace to those who don't deserve it. God gives forgiveness when we are unforgivable. God gives, and when we give, we mirror God. For God so loved that he gave, and when we give, it shows our love. For God so loved the world that I got a problem giving. No, you've got a problem loving. I'll I'll prove it to you. The wife says to the husband, happens to me all the time. She says, honey, can I get this new pair of boots? No, honey, you don't love me. All the wives are chuckling because you use that line in your husband. I heard that the man back there, you are brave. He said, it is true. Praise God, whoever you were well you don't love me I do tomorrow all the time honey what's your dinner tonight leftovers from yesterday you don't love me because we think that love is giving right we call somebody up do you love me uh yeah want to give me a ride we equate loving and giving isn't that true what you get me for Christmas? Why would I buy you something? Because you love me. Don't you love when people give you suggestions of what to buy them for Christmas? They weren't even on your list. Listen, 2015 is a broke year, and you're on, the, you're on the good year list. The broke year list, you didn't make it. But if you love me, you'll give me, right? If you love me, you'll give. Because God loved, God gave. How powerful is that? that we can say that every time that offering basket comes around, because I love, I give. And I give faithfully and I give consistently. Why should I give faithfully? And pastor, why should I give consistently? Because God faithfully gives grace and mercy, and God consistently gives forgiveness. And when we give church, believe it or not, you mirror God, and you become more and more like the Father that we serve, and you become his ambassador and you begin to do what he does and what he did. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Why should I give? Well, God commands us to give. It shows where my heart is at. And two, or rather three, because it mirrors and it makes me look more like the father that I serve. Church, can I, let's, let's be honest. We need generosity to sweep through our church. Listen, we're going, to be, we're going to be a mobile church forever until the church gets generous and we purchase a new church home. Let's, let's just put it out there. That's what it is. Generosity will move vision. Well, Pastor, you said earlier that without this one you're going to talk about today, all the other ones are kind of useless. And it's true because without the finances, the faith How are we going to move in the areas God called us to? How do we move to the Klein? Because we had the finances to do it. God was faithful. What good is it if we have all this great vision, but we don't want to give to the vision? But when we give to the vision, when we give, God blesses. You want to hear something really cool, church? Something that I think is cool? In the last three months since we moved to the Klein, And you don't have to clap yet. Hold your applause. We've added over 115 people to our church. 115 people. And you know what helped us that first week at the Klein? A generosity of a single mother of three who once she heard the vision, gave a very large offering. One that from the outside looking in, they couldn't afford to give, but one that was of great faith. And because of people like that, when they had a generous spirit, 115 people have encountered Christ in this place who were not yet part of our church. Can I just propose to you that our generosity can help people meet Christ? that for God so loved the world he gave. And maybe you're sitting here today and you haven't given the greatest gift that is in Romans 12, where the the apostle Paul says in verse one, I beseech you therefore. In other words, I plead with you. I beg of you. I ask you. I seek for you to do this. Do what? Brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies or yourself as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, what I'm saying to you today is maybe you haven't given God the greatest gift of all, which is saying, God, I want to give you myself. God, I want to give you my life. The greatest act of generosity you can give is allowing God to redeem your soul from damnation. By turning your life over to him and saying, God, I give you me so that for the rest of my days you can flow through me as you so please, that you may work in me. And maybe you haven't made that commitment yet today. Maybe Christ is not your Savior yet. And today you can give God the greatest gift of all, which is yourself. You may say, silver and gold I do not have, but this I have, I have myself to give to the Lord today. Others of you might be here today and you're struggling financially and you struggle with giving. Can I promise you and tell you that when you give, that God is forever faithful to you. That when you give, it puts the onus, the burden on the Lord to be your provider. And me and myself and my household and my wife and my two children, there are days where what we put in the offering looks crazy in comparison to the need at home. But I trust God with my whole heart. I'm not practicing. Rather, I'm not preaching something that I'm going to go practice. I am preaching something I am already practicing. I hate that phrase, practice what you preach. No, pastor, preach what you practice. Let the church see what you really do. Preach what you practice. And I believe with all my heart that generosity breaks the back of poverty. And I believe with all of my heart that if you can wrap your heart around giving to God, and you could start small, wrap your heart around giving to God faithfully and consistently. Test God. The Bible says, test me. Malachi 3 is the only time God says to test him is in your giving. And you will see God pour out. And you will see God bless you. And you'll see God work miracles. I've seen God work miracles by my faithful giving. There were times, let's be honest, there were times where I wasn't even praying enough and I wasn't reading the word enough but I was giving consistently and God kept on. Because there God says, if you give it will be given unto you pressed down, shaken together running over. There's a way to give yourself give yourself out of poverty and if you trust God because God commanded it and you will be in the will of God, number two it shows your heart is trusting on God number three, we look more like our heavenly father when we give I challenge you to be epic givers people who give consistently it's not about the quantity it's about the quality Jesus wasn't impressed with the amount that people were giving. He was impressed with the fact that this little widow gave all that she had. And that is more important than anything that she gave. Would you stand with me this early afternoon as we get before the Lord? And here's what I want to do as the prayer team comes on up. As the prayer team comes on up. There's two people in this room that might need prayer today. Two people in this room that might need prayer today. The first one is those who have not yet given your lives to God. Those who have not yet turned your life over. And that's the greatest gift that you can give to God. It's not just about finances, but the greatest thing you can give to God today is your heart. That's the greatest thing you can give to him. Maybe like they were saying earlier, your heart's desire is to draw closer to God, to be close to him, to be loved by him, to be moved and touched by him and held by the Lord. Maybe that's your desire today. Maybe you came in here heavy burden, heavy laden. and, And today, if you would give your heart to the Father, Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Today, rest is available to you. Today, rest is here for you. And the second person is that I want to pray for and have the, the team pray for today on either side is this. Those of you who are going through financial hardship and or struggling at home, we want to pray that as you begin to give, that as you give faith, that God will pour out on you. For the Bible says, the psalmist writes, I've been young, David said it, I've been old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. In other words, I've been through all phases of my life and I've never seen the righteous who are givers. The righteous, remember Proverbs says the righteous give. I've never seen the givers lack in their house. I've never seen it, and I know I'm not going to see it now. And maybe you're facing tough times. Maybe your things are way right above your head, and you just need someone to touch and agree with you. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You just need someone to touch and agree with you because you're going through some hardships at home. Maybe you're you're facing another situation. Whatever it may be, today can be the day where God begins to break some things in your life. Maybe you haven't given, you struggle with giving because you haven't felt this or that. It's a heart issue. Is my heart going to lean on God? Am I going to trust Him? Am I going to move mountains with my giving? Am I going to trust the Lord with my heart? Come on, if that's you today, if you want to give your heart to the Lord today, if you want to give Him your heart today, would you raise your hand right where you're sitting with every head bowed, every eye closed, right where you're standing rather, raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. i got four and five hands up, six hands up. Thank you, thank you. That's right, that's worth clapping over today. Come on, church.